Hello everybody, this is the first sermon of our new series looking at the book of Exodus. Today we're looking at Exodus chapter 1 and the title of this sermon is Keeping the Faith Through Undeserved Suffering. When Jewish psychiatrist Viktor Frankl was arrested by the Nazis in World War II, he was stripped of everything, property, family and possessions. He had spent years researching and writing a book on the importance of finding meaning in life. When he arrived in Auschwitz, the infamous death camp, even his manuscript, which he had hidden in the lining of his coat, was taken away. I had to undergo and overcome the loss of my spiritual child, Frankel wrote. Now it seemed as if nothing and no one would survive me, neither a physical nor a spiritual child of my own. I found myself confronted with the question of whether under such circumstances my life was ultimately void of any meaning. He was still wrestling with that question a few days later when the Nazis forced the prisoners to give up their clothes. I had to surrender my clothes and in turn inherited the worn out rags of an inmate who'd been sent to the gas chamber, said Frankel. Instead of the many pages of my manuscript, I found in the pocket of the newly acquired coat a single page torn out of a Hebrew prayer book, which contained the main Jewish prayer, Shema Yisrael. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. How should I have interpreted such a coincidence other than as a challenge to live my thoughts instead of merely putting them on paper? Later, as Frankel reflected on his ordeal, he wrote in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, There is nothing in the world that would so effectively help one to survive even the worst conditions as the knowledge that there is a meaning in one's life. He who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. He who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. Today we begin a new series looking at the story of the Exodus. I chose it for a very simple reason. When Israel were undergoing a great trial, God proved his great love for them. He came through for them, demonstrating his power, protection and provision. Israel were rescued from their ordeal and slowly but surely grew to trust their God. By reading Exodus together, I hope we will all be encouraged in our current trials and go on a similar journey of faith. But before we get to the great acts of God that are to come over the next few weeks and chapters, we must recognise that the book of Exodus starts in a difficult place. A place of intense pain and many unanswered questions. A place of such bitterness that God's people were struggling not to give up. Maybe a place a little like the UK today with coronavirus cases still surging. Yet even here we find that a life of faith and courageous action is still possible. 
The Hebrew midwives demonstrate to us again that when you know why you live and who you live for, you can bear up to almost any challenge laid against you. I've entitled this sermon, Keeping the Faith Through Undeserved Suffering. And it's important we realise that that is what the people of Israel were going through. Undeserved suffering. The book of Exodus begins by creating a direct link with Genesis, the book in the Bible that immediately precedes it. Genesis told us the story of the origin of God's people. God called Abraham and made a covenant with him. He would bless his family and through them would go on to bless all the surrounding nations. In Genesis, we saw how that covenant gets passed on down through Abraham's family to Isaac, his son, and then on to Jacob, his grandson. Jacob then has 12 sons of his own, and these become the 12 founding tribes of Israel. This is God's family of blessing on earth. Well, Exodus begins by stating plainly that it is this family who are now in Egypt suffering under the hands of Pharaoh. Not aliens to God's promise, not idolaters or worshippers of false gods. God's own covenant people are the ones in trouble. Exodus then reminds us of the story of how they got there in the first place. They had gone to Egypt when Jacob's son Joseph had become an important leader in the land. Now we do not have the time to recount the whole story of Joseph and his travails, but suffice it to say God had worked through him in incredible ways, saving many thousands of people from famine and death in the process. Genesis 50 finishes with the announcement that although Joseph had arrived in Egypt because his brothers had tried to harm him, God turned it into an opportunity to do great good. So unlike at other points in the Old Testament where Israel go to Egypt for the wrong reasons, this time they are there in complete innocence. They are there as a result of the work God himself has been doing. They had gone where God led them. Finally, the introduction to Exodus states that this was God's people in the place he had led them to, doing exactly what God had asked of them. They were being fruitful and multiplying. Right back at creation, this was God's command to his people to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and look after it. Abraham was told his family would be so large, they would be like the stars in the sky and the grains of sand on the seashore. The fact that Israel was still multiplying during their stay in Egypt shows that God's blessing was still upon them. Indeed, he was keeping his promise to Abraham. It's important we understand then that God's people were doing what they should while they were in Egypt and that God was pleased with them. Sometimes in life, we deserve the suffering we experience. Our sin has consequences and we must endure them. We might not like that fact, but we understand it and gradually come to accept it. Yet at other times, we experience suffering that feels completely undeserved. Suffering that we've done nothing to warrant at all. Indeed, suffering that comes at a time when we're doing our absolute best to live as God would want us to. 
Viktor Frankl's experience alongside all the Jews in the Holocaust was an example of undeserved suffering. Our experience through this pandemic is another. Sometimes we suffer without obvious reason. The Bible is very honest about this. In fact, there's a whole book in the Bible dedicated to a man who suffers innocently. It's called Job. And we should be very grateful that the Bible is so open about this. Because, of course, it is this type of undeserved suffering that is the hardest to bear. So why? Why does this type of undeserved suffering take place? Well, we have to be very careful forming answers to that question. Because there are some things we simply do not understand. and We have to leave them to God. Overly simplistic answers also sound trite and often do more damage to the people who are suffering so badly. But there is part of an answer that the Bible reveals numerous times throughout its pages, and it is this. As human beings, we are living in a war zone. The next thing the book of Exodus does is to introduce us to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. We learn practically nothing about him before we discover he is opposed to the Israelites and them increasing in number. In many ways, this is the most important thing we need to know about him. Pharaoh is afraid that Israel will grow so large they will turn against the Egyptians. Either that or they will up and walk out of the country en masse, depleting the workforce and leaving an unstable economy. Bear in mind that by the time of Moses, there are about 600,000 Israelites in the land. That is enough people to cause a lot of damage either way. But Exodus uses a very particular word when introducing Pharaoh in verse 8, and that word is power. Pharaoh had come to power, and he had every intention of keeping it and building upon it. Ultimately, in his eyes, the Israelites were a threat to his power and needed quickly dealing with. So very quickly we find that the Israelites are living under the rule of a man who is opposed to them. But Exodus wants us to see that more than being opposed to his people, Pharaoh is also opposed to God himself. He is opposed to God's creation mandate to be fruitful and multiply. He is opposed to God's keeping his promise to Abraham. He is opposed to God's plans and purposes and, of course, worships his own Egyptian gods in the Lord's place. So by just verse 8 of chapter 1, we know that the story of Exodus is not going to be Pharaoh versus Israel or Pharaoh versus Moses, but nothing short of Pharaoh versus the Lord God Almighty. This is going to be the story of good versus evil, God versus the anti-God forces that oppose him. It's going to be a war zone. And as we know from all the history books and watching the news on our televisions in war zones, terrible things happen. In this case, it is slavery and forced labour, murder and attempted genocide. And so it is the world over. There's nothing new under the sun. When people turn against God and reject his goodness, bad things come into the world. 
Consequently, innocent people suffer. Consequently, lies are made bitter, even though they do not deserve it. The Bible is very honest. Not all suffering we experience is deserved. Some of it occurs simply because we live in a war zone. There is a battle between good and evil going on. It is a sign that the world is not currently the way God intended it to be. So we need to hang tight onto him as he works to put it right. I cannot explain to you why this pandemic has taken place. I cannot explain why God has allowed this to happen. No one can. Evil things take place. It is a wake-up call to all of us that we need help. Help from someone much greater than ourselves. However, now that we've been honest about the reality of life on earth, we can truly begin to see the good news of this story. We can begin to see that the help we need is indeed at hand. From verse 12 onwards, we begin to see why the Exodus story might be such an encouragement to us at this time. Because from real life example, we discover that it is still possible to have faith in a crisis. How is it possible? Because God himself is not absent from the scene. When the Egyptians begin to clamp down on the Israelites as the slavery and forced labour ramps up, a miracle takes place. The more Pharaoh oppressed the Israelites, the more they grew in number. That is the exact opposite of what you would expect to happen. Many people died on ancient building sites. Many people die in slavery. But rather than their numbers going down, Israel's went up. There is no doubt that Israel's experience was awful, their lives were made very bitter, but for those with eyes to see, God was still there. He was still at work, still keeping the promise that he had made to Abraham. And this is the key to maintaining faith in a time of crisis. Hang on to God's promises. Trust in his ongoing presence. You might not feel it. The warm and fuzzy feelings of religion may be long gone. But cling on to the fact that the Lord of heaven and earth promises to still be present. There is nowhere that his spirit does not reach. And now we get the wonderful example of the two women who, despite everything going on, managed to stand with this faith. As an increasingly raging pharaoh ups the ante and orders the murder of all newborn Israelite boys, these two Hebrew midwives stand up to him. They deliver the boys, see them off to safety and then lie to Pharaoh's face to protect them further. This is an act of great courage and bravery, an act carried out at great risk to themselves. An act inspired by one thing. Verse 17 makes it plain. Despite all their suffering, these two women had not lost their fear of the Lord. They would not lost their reverence and awe. They would not lost their sense of God's holy power and potential. They would not lost their trust. Indeed, their fear of the Lord was much greater than their fear 
of Pharaoh. In verse 20, we quickly discover that God is delighted by the actions of these midwives. And as a result, he grants them families of their own. This, of course, is an act of double meaning. He blesses them for their continued faith. He grants them the desires of their heart. But he also defies Pharaoh again in the process. Pharaoh's trying his darndest to reduce the number of Israelites. God just keeps multiplying them and making them more fruitful. Truly nothing will stop God's work. I love the way Exodus is written, for it teaches us something really important. God sees the faith of his people. He takes note of our attempts to serve him. Notice how the two midwives are named in the story. Despite living three and a half thousand years ago, we know it was Shifra and Pua that carried out this defiant act of faith. Yet nowhere, anywhere in the book is Pharaoh named. As we have seen, Pharaoh is the great power figure in the story. Pharaoh would have been greatly prominent in the Egyptian records. But the Old Testament has a completely different set of values. It's not how rich or powerful or famous you are that counts to God. It's how faithful you are. Faith is what counts to God. And the sooner we realise this, the wiser we will live our lives. The Old Testament repeatedly describes the fear of the Lord as the beginning of wisdom. To continue trusting in God, despite the horror of their situation, was the wisest things those midwives could do. Conversely, by seeking his own power and importance, Pharaoh acts in very unwise ways. By oppressing the Israelites, he created resentment and led them to cry out to God for help. By murdering the boys, he depleted his workforce, the very thing he was frightened of in the first place. Truly, violence never pays off. Turning against God to further your own ends never works either. In this war zone, there will only be one winner. So as we begin the new year, a time when many of us are looking for wisdom, and this year especially, a time where we want to know how we're to go on living through this pandemic crisis, remember this. It is the reason why we are living and who we live for that will lead us down the right path. Living a life of faith in service of the sovereign of the universe is what counts. When we keep that perspective, that fear of the Lord, not only will we carry on with hope and courage, but we will also be inspired to help others more vulnerable than we are just as the Hebrew midwives did. I hope we're really encouraged by the story of the Hebrew midwives. I hope we can see the practical relevance of how we may be able to act during lockdown this week, helping those around us. But I want to finish with another dose of reality. I want us to focus once more on the question, how do we keep the faith in a crisis? We've mentioned two things already, holding on to God's promises and trusting in his ongoing presence. But we know from experience that even with that, life does not automatically become easy. 
Even after the midwife's heroism, our passage ended on a tragic note. The order of Pharaoh to drown all the newborn Israelite boys in the Nile. It's immediately clear that the Israelites' undeserved suffering would go on a long time yet. In fact, Moses was 80 when he went to Pharaoh to call for Israel's release, and he's not even been born yet. Life in the war zone would continue for many years more. Just how would the Israelites hold on to their faith? Well, at the end of chapter 2, we read what they did during this period. They groaned in their slavery and they cried out to God in prayer. So yes, they held on to God's promises. Yes, they trusted his presence, but they also continued to urge him to act in prayer. And those prayers were not nice, polite, well-constructed prayers as you would hear in church. They were groans from the heart. As the coronavirus goes on, as we continue to see cases increase, it's okay to wail at God in lament. It's okay to ask God, where are you? It's okay to question, how can this be? In fact, we should be as honest with God in prayer as we can be. We should tell him how we are feeling. We should pour out our hearts. We should reel off our doubts. And if we do that consciously in his presence we will find that the bitterness we feel slowly releases. And as the cloud gradually lifts, we will experience God taking our pain onto himself and reassuring us with his promises and presence once more. Strange as it may seem, it may be through prayers of lament that we keep the faith. And as we keep the faith, we discover that God is keeping us then we can commit to serving God again, even in our trials, just like the midwives did. With that in mind, I want to finish this sermon by reading a psalm of lament. And I encourage us all to place our own feelings at this time of trial into this prayer. So we might come out of it trusting in God once more. This is Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me.